one church, four campuses, the Waxhaw campus, one that we will hopefully have a permanent facility for sometime in the next 15 plus months or so. And also we're going to do something on the South Boulevard corridor. It's great to have all of you here today. Thank you, the online community that's joining us. Some four years ago, many of the South Park campus folks gave so that a Ballantyne and Fort Mill campus could be built. Those both have now 1,000-plus people coming. We're going to do the same thing in Waxhaw and South Boulevard, which is today's message culminating months' worth of planning and prayer, seeking God to see how we can move toward that next step of raising $8 million for the uh, campuses now that we want God to build through us. So this message is the culmination of lots of months of prayer. I hope it will be something that will challenge all of you, like Jim and Cheryl are now looking at their Fort Mill campus, realizing South Park folks built that for them. They're going to dig in to build some campuses for some other people, build some wells for some other people in the years to come. Would you join me in prayer now as we seek the Father together? Lord Jesus, you do know that this has been a long time coming. You do know that many of us have spent countless hours planning, praying, and thinking through what we need to do. There's a lot of excitement and anticipation on all of our campuses regarding this weekend. And I pray you would work through the message I'm about to give, that you would be pleased with what I'm about to say. And mostly, Lord Jesus, you would be glorified, as that is Maryland's and my heart totally and completely. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. What I'm trying to challenge you during this series is to think eternally, to, to living with eternity in mind. And let me just give you a couple of other thoughts that I began expressing last week. I want to continue to express this week, but from a different section of Scripture. From Matthew, the sixth chapter, uh, Jesus gives three incidents on how we are supposed to, first of all, pray to give, and then to fast. And the first one has to do with giving to the needy. And he says that when you give to the needy, verse 2, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. And some of you may remember when we did the study of the widow's might, Jesus was comparing the widow's gift, which was just two copper coins, out of her paucity and how much she gave rather than the Pharisees who would blow trumpets and draw attention to how much they gave, but it was out of their abundance. And Jesus whole point in that was it's not how much you give it really in his eyes is how much do you have left that's true generosity that's true sacrificial giving and he says and when you give to the needy verse 3 do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees all in secret will reward you he'll reward you it certainly implies a heavenly reward. And then when you pray, going on in verse 5, he says, don't pray like the Pharisees with empty words and just going on and on and on. He says, don't pray like the Pharisees who try to draw attention to themselves when they pray on the street corners. He said, but you pray in secret. Because the Pharisees, when they pray and get approval from man, they've already got their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Then he talks about fasting. When you fast with verse 16, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites who try to draw attention to their spiritual life by their gloomy faces. He says, when you fast, don't try to seek the approvals of others. And your father who sees in secret will, what folks do you think? 
reward you. So this whole idea of eternal rewards is talked about over and over and over again in Scripture. One of them is we'll receive crowns in heaven. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 talks about how we'll uh, have a judgment of our works and our good works. We'll receive crowns when we get to heaven. There are all kinds of biblical emphases on the fact that not only are we saved by grace, but we're saved for good works, to do good works, and when we do that, we'll receive a reward in heaven. So let's talk today about being generous with the money that God has given us, partly at least is to receive a great reward in heaven. Not letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Somebody gave a huge pledge this week to the church. They said, I don't want anybody to know because I don't want to lose my reward in heaven. And that's a great way of looking at this whole idea of giving in abundance and generously to our God and Father in heaven. I'm going to look today at Luke, the 16th chapter, verses 1 through 14. If you're able, out of reverence for the reading of the scripture, would you please stand? The word of the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, well, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Okay, let's dive in. The first question is, to whom was this parable, this story spoken? The answer is in the first and the last verses. It's, first of all, to all of Jesus' disciples. So, who is a follower of Jesus here today? Raise your hand, okay? Most of us, this parable is for us. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, let me simply ask you to receive him now as your Lord and Savior. Just open up your hearts, confess your sins, receive him as Lord and Savior, and you immediately are forgiven of your sins by grace through faith, and you're now a follower of Jesus Christ. So, now, if you just did that, 
this parable is for you too. Secondly, last verse, it tells us for who it is. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. The second group of people for whom this parable is spoken are people who love money. People who aren't followers of Jesus, but who just love money. So if you love Jesus, this parable is for you. If you love money, this parable is for you. If you are someone who doesn't love Jesus and loves money, this parable is especially for you. Okay, got that done? All right. This is to whom the parable is spoken. And we see in this parable a wonderful story that seems odd at first. Uh, It's about a manager, an asset manager, if you will, of someone who has lots of possessions. And the owner of all of the possessions finds out that his manager, verse 1, is wasting his possessions. So he calls him in and says, what is this? I can't put up with this any longer. Turn in your resignation. You're done. Well, the manager said to himself, what what am I going to do? You know, I'm too proud to beg, and I don't want to dig ditches. What am I going to do? So he comes up with a brilliant scheme. He goes to all the people who still owed money to the owner, and he said, here's what you need to do. If you owe him 100 bushels of oil, I'll cut the price down to 50. Just give me 50. And if you owe him 100 bushels of wheat, cut that down to 80. And interestingly, when the owner heard about the shrewdness of the asset manager, instead of condemning him and telling him he was foolish and awful, the owner applauds. And many people at this point pause and ask the question, you mean to tell me Jesus approves of a jerk? Jesus approves of someone who snarkily steals money from his owner? That's not the point. Jesus didn't applaud what he did. He applauded his shrewdness. He applauded him thinking ahead and asking himself the question, when I lose my job, and I'm most certainly going to lose my job, what am I going to do? And he used this whole deal with those who owed the owner money to set up a strategy so that when he was fired, he'd be welcomed into their dwelling places. They would receive him into their homes, and he'd have friends because he used his owner's money in a way that helped him look forward to the future. So I tried to think of a clever way to get you to remember this message, and here's what I came up with. Hey, dude, be shrewd. All right, say it with me. Hey, dude, be shrewd. That's the whole message of this parable is use unrighteous mammon. And it is interesting that Jesus calls it unrighteous wealth because money has a way of wooing our hearts, doesn't it? Jesus said here in Matthew 6, you cannot love God in money. Money has a way of spiritually wooing us to follow it like nothing else. Only God has that rightful place in our hearts to be totally following him and not money. So use unrighteous mammon, which has a spiritual wooing power within itself, to make friends for yourselves so that when you get to heaven, there are going to be friends you've made with that money who will welcome you into dwelling places, into mansions, into places that have been prepared before you go there by Jesus, John 14, 2. Do not be fearful. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many dwelling places, and I go there to prepare one for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
And those people who've gone before us who have come to be friends of God by unrighteous wealth that we use to help them become friends of God will welcome us into their dwelling places. And the implication is that Jesus the carpenter is building our dwelling places at the same time. Some of you know that term dwelling places can be translated mansions. And as I told you last week, you can send unrighteous wealth ahead to help build your eternal dwelling place, your eternal mansion. That's what Jesus is applauding here with the money manager. Hey, dude, be shrewd. Use unrighteous money now to prepare friends in heaven so that when you get there, they'll greet you and invite you into their dwelling places until yours is probably finally built. So having looked at the story, there are five major spiritual truths, folks, that are there for all of us as we yearn to be faithful to the one we call Lord and Savior. What are those truths? First of all, we don't own anything. We don't own anything. The owner of this story is the owner of everything. That's what needs to be understood from the very beginning. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in this world is owned by God. He gives it to us on loan. Now, as you remember the first message, the purpose of the tithe, the 10%, at least partly, is to remind us of that reality. On a weekly basis when we worship and we give the tithe to God, it's supposed to be a way of reminding us God owns everything and we don't. So that's the first truth that is clearly here. God is the owner of all. Secondly, we're all stewards. We're all asset managers of what God has loaned us here. And in another parable, you have the parable of the talents. It's very clear in that parable, some people are more gifted than others. Some people have 10 talents, some people have five talents, some people have one talent. Some people have millions of dollars, some people have hundreds of thousands of dollars, some people only have tens or thousands of dollars. Everybody has different amounts of gifts and treasures. It's all there in the scripture. God is the owner of everything and he gives different responsibilities and different amounts of talents and treasures to all of us who say we are following him. And the question that is raised in this parable with the owner of everything to his asset manager is, I've heard you're wasting my possessions. And that's the powerful question that comes to all of us from this story. Are we wasting God's possessions that he has loaned us on this side of eternity? He's the owner. We're the asset manager. We are to invest his possessions in eternal things and not just for our own pleasures. And when we do things solely for our own pleasures, we run the risk of wasting his possessions. Third truth. One day, our stewardship will end. It, it is in the parable of the talents. One day, the owner of the talents who gave 10, 5, and 1 will return and ask, have you used the talents I've given you to multiply? He does not become angry at the one with 10 who got 10 more and the one with 5 who got 5 more, but the one with 1 who wasted the talent, who dug a hole and hid it. He comes back. And he holds each person accountable for the talents that they have. In this parable, the same truth is there. The owner of all of the assets comes to the asset manager, and he holds him accountable for how he's used his money. 
And, and the manager realizes that his day of employment is soon going to end. Just like, folks, our days on this side of eternity will one day end. Have you figured it out yet? It is a truth all of us need to reckon with. As I've joked with you before, but it is a joke with stark truth a part of it. The statistics are in, one out of one die. It is a certainty. It's not debatable. The only question is when is our appointment to be made with the owner when we're held accountable for his possessions that he has loaned us on this side of eternity. There will be a day when our jobs on this earth end, just like the steward's job before the owner ended. Fourth truth, we will all be held accountable. Every single one of us, just like the parable of the talents, where the owner came back and held each one with 10, 5, and 1, whether they were responsible with their talents or not. Here, the master asked the steward point blank, how have you used my assets? And then fifth and finally, the truth here is we can't take it with us, but we can send it ahead. Now, now let's look at each one of these verses from verse 8 onward because I think they're powerful to unpack each one. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So the first thing Jesus said here is, hey, dude, be shrewd. He commended the dishonest steward, not for his thievery, but he commended him for his shrewdness. And then he makes this remarkable statement. He says, you know what? The, the sons of darkness, those who don't follow me, are more careful about investing money and making sure their future is taken care of than the sons of light, than people who follow me. The point being that few of us think in terms of eternity. Few of us think in terms of eternal rewards. Few of us live this life with the next one primarily in mind. And he said, you sons of darkness, those who don't follow me, who live in the darkness, are more shrewd than the children of light, for at least they're thinking ahead to their future, trying to make sure that monetarily they'll be, over, uh, be, be uh, able to take care of their lives. Then verse 9, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, what's the it there? What, what's the it? The unrighteous wealth. When it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Okay, let's look at this more closely. Jesus, and I tell you, now that's a phrase in the early original languages of listen up. This is very important. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Use money, which has no eternal value whatsoever, but use it now to make friends for God. So that when it fails, you do realize it will fail, don't you? You can't take it with you. Please nod at me and tell me that you're listening. You can't take it with you. As I joked last week, you have never seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse. It's just not done. There's nothing you will be able to take with you at all into heaven. You leave naked. You came into the world naked. 
You won't be able to take it with you. So Jesus says, when you die, not if you die, when that day comes, that will happen to everybody on this earth because all of us have been infected with this disease called sin. We will all die. When that day comes and money fails you, you think you're going to get into heaven by bribing God? You think he's going to be impressed with how much money you have on this side of eternity? He owns all of heaven and all of earth. When it fails, when it no longer has any value in our lives, when it cannot influence anything anymore, when it cannot impress anyone anymore, when unrighteous mammon fails, they, who's the they? The friends who've been made for eternity by your investment of unrighteous wealth into their lives may then come to you and receive you into the eternal dwellings, into their eternal mansions, into their places where they live forever. Just like this shrewd manager wanted some place where he could go after he knew he was going to be fired, into the homes of people for whom he had made a deal. When we get to heaven, there are going to be friends who have come to faith in Jesus because we've generously given God's money for causes to reach people for Christ. They're going to greet us and welcome us into their eternal dwellings. We'll have fellowship with them, and then we wait for hours to be prepared for Jesus where we go that he has built for us with what we've sent ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. That's what he's trying clearly to teach here. Then in verse 10, one who's faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. What's he saying here? He doesn't care how much any of us have. That's not the point. We've had some people who've pledged some large gifts. But you want to tell me, but can I tell you one of the most moving notes I've ever received in all of my 30-plus years in ministry? It was one a couple weeks ago where somebody wrote on one of the cards out there, we gave the largest amount we have ever given last week. $530. The next week I was offered a second job. I don't think it was accidental. God blessed us. I don't think it was accidental either. And, and whoever this is, and I don't know, I pray God will bless you abundantly because you didn't have a whole lot, but you were faithful in the little. And, and I believe when we're faithful in the little, God then makes us faithful over a bit more. That's what Jesus was trying to teach here. One who's faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. But, but if you're not even overseeing the little bit you have faithfully, that means you're dishonest in everything. We have had large gifts pledged. We've had small gifts pledged. What has moved my heart is the people I know who prayed about what God has told them to give. And when you get to heaven, those of you who just give smaller gifts comparatively, you're going to have friends from everywhere come greet you. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me keep going. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And this is an implication of heaven. If you've not overseen something that's really unrighteous here on this side of eternity, when you get to heaven, how can God entrust you with the responsibility of different rewards that he'll have for all of us in heaven? In other words, if we're faithful here with money management that is unrighteous, 
when we get to heaven, God's going to make us faithful over much more, which is righteous. And I don't know what all that implies. It's going to imply some rulership, some leadership, some oversight. But when you're faithful, the, the, the person who gave that $530, man, you're going to have some huge planets to oversee in heaven. So, something incredible that God's going to give you oversight over because you've been faithful with the little of unrighteous wealth that he gave you here. True riches is eternity. And then verse 12, and if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, uh, did you catch that? You've not been a faithful asset manager of another's possessions. Who owns everything? T tell me, who owns everything? God. It's, it's God's world. He owns everything. And we are asset managers of what God has loaned us, however large or however small here. If you're not faithful with that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Your own. What does that imply? There are things we're going to own in heaven. And what we own there is largely dependent upon that which we've sent ahead here. No servant can serve two masters. You either hate the one or love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Have you ever seen a sports team have two coaches? I, I never have. And if there is one, I bet it doesn't work. There's some organizations that have experimented with two bosses. It doesn't work. Have you ever seen a military where two generals have equal command? It doesn't work. You've got to have one sole authority in your life. And Jesus said, if it's God and, and money, one or the other rules. Some people say, if I just had a million dollars, then I'd be generous the truth is, for most of us, if we were given a million dollars, we'd probably spend it on ourselves. How we're generous now determines how generous we'll be if we get more. And that's what Jesus knew. So, hey, dude, be shrewd. That's the message of this parable. Hey, people, you've all got unrighteous wealth as a part of your life. Some of you have more than others. All of us have it. We're asset managers of the one who has loaned it to us. We're going to one day die. We're going to one day be held accountable for how we've used his possessions for his glory. So therefore, Jesus says to us, use unrighteous wealth to make friends for God so that when you get to heaven, they will greet you and invite you into their dwelling places. And the major question that I want to ask you today is this one. Who will greet you? Who will greet you? Are you intentionally thinking about the unrighteous wealth that God has loaned you on this side of eternity, strategically thinking about heaven? Who's going to greet you? It is one of the most, if not the most important question that you could ever answer. Who's going to greet you? Four years ago, we had this dream to start these campuses because the South Park campus could not contain the numbers coming, but there was another reason behind it. We have a special DNA in this church that's around the three words, know, grow, go. We want to know Christ deeply and intimately. We want to grow in that relationship with him. But mostly, we want to be an outreach-focused church. We want to be a church that cares for those who don't know Christ, reaching out to them passionately. We also want to be a church that cares for the poor and the needy. We call them the lost and the least. 
And for all of our years here, Marilyn and I have emphasized being an outreach-focused church. And we know that DNA is the very heart of a faithful church. And we know that when a church operates with that DNA, we know the community around it changes. So we decided that it would be better than being a regional church where everybody drove here to this South Park campus. Let's take Forest Hill South Park with its unique DNA and let's plant it in other parts of this region. And, and that's what caused us to think about Ballantyne, which had a number of Forest Hill people living there. Let's put that DNA in Ballantyne, and sure enough, here we are some years later with 1,000 people attending that campus who have that same no, grow, go DNA as a part of who they are. So then we did the same thing in Fort Mill, looking at that community, which had a fair number of Forest Hill South Parkers who lived there, but also a large number who didn't know Christ. We weren't going to drive all this way to South Park. We put that campus in operation. Here we are a couple years later. It's got over 1,000 people coming. That no, grow, go DNA, a part of it. We've opened a campus at Cuthbertson High School in Waxhaw. They will need a permanent dwelling, just like all the rest of them needed a permanent dwelling. You can't continue to take up and set down week in and week out so that's the part of this campaign is to open up a permanent campus in Waxhaw but also many churches that are doing multi-sites now are just looking at the places in their metrolina area if you will where wealthy people live and the truth is that is whom I appeal to oftentimes it's who this church appeals to people of some means but you know what i don't think the lord would want his church just to be going after people who have some means so that's why we decided to open up a campus on south boulevard among the broken burgeoning poor latino community there there are issues there that we're going to have to confront like we've never had to confront before but we just know jesus loves them and we're within a stone's throw here on the south park campus so we're going to put our no grow go dna on the south boulevard campus and transform that area for christ and in the years to come to continue to look at places where we think the gospel of jesus christ needs to be spoken powerfully unabashedly a commitment to god's word with that dna of no grow go being planted powerfully and profoundly so that's what this campaign is all about. But four years ago, the South Park campus was the one that shouldered the major responsibility of building the Ballantyne and Fort Mill campuses. Here's my point. If you gave to that campaign four years ago, folks, I think you can readily expect when you have your day of appointment with God Almighty, you will have Ballantiners and Fort Millers who came to know Jesus Christ because you used unrighteous wealth to plant the gospel there who will greet you into their dwelling places. I am absolutely, totally, unequivocally convinced of it. That is what Jesus said here. And when I go to the other campuses at Ballantyne and Fort Mill, here's what I'm saying to them is, the South Park folks gave generously for you to have what you have now. Now it's your turn with Waxhaw and South Boulevard. Now, now, here's more. Each one of our campuses must have an international commitment. So, there's a group at the Fort Mill campus who have invested heavily in Columbia, South America. There's a team that just got back from there that preached the gospel powerfully and profoundly there this past week. In fact, coming back, they had a 54-hour plane trip. They got stuck in Bogota. God bless them. But they preached the gospel there. The Ballantyne campus has a relationship with Haiti through Mission of Hope. They've spent hundreds of people down there to preach the gospel and care for the poor and care for the needy. The South Park campus has a relationship with the Dominican Republic and the entire Caribbean and also Central Africa and also India where we've planted over 700 churches where there's never been the name of Jesus mentioned before. And also we're looking at the Mideast now and how to plant churches in 
Muslim countries that have never believed in the name of Jesus. And, and we're looking at all of that, and we've just been around longer. That's why the South Park campus has more places. But other uh, campuses also are looking at other places where they can go. Here, here's my point. When you get to heaven, if you've given to the mission and ministry of Forest Hill at Ballantyne, Fort Mill, South Park, Waxhaw, South Boulevard, wherever we may be planning future campuses, when you die, and if I told you, you will die, it is a certainty you can readily expect if you've given your unrighteous wealth that you've overseen as an asset manager of all God has given you, you can fully expect to meet people from South America in Colombia and people from Haiti and people from the Dominican Republic and people in Central Africa and people in India and people in the Mideast and people in Western Europe where we planted churches and people from all over the world who will come to you and say thank you, thank you, Thank you. You used God's wealth that he gave you to help plant churches and speak the gospel in my nation, and I am in heaven because of you. You can readily expect that, folks, and they will invite you into their dwelling places, and you can have one great meal on the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what this So That campaign is trying to do to expand our witness in the Metrolina area. And Waxhaw will adapt an international focus, as will South Boulevard, and more and more people will greet you and say thank you when you go home. So let me bring this entire month to a conclusion. Will there be friends who will greet you in heaven? If you participate in this So That campaign, the answer will be yes. This card is in front of you. It's been given to you over the last couple of weeks. I pray that you've prayed, asking God how much he's laying on your hearts to give. Marilyn and I have filled out our card. We have sensed a total that God has burdened our hearts to give. Now it's time to give. So may I pray for the remaining moments of this worship service and ask you to prepare your hearts to come forward and to dedicate this money to the glory of God, recognizing, folks, and I know this, that when you give your money, you're giving yourself. Maybe you can't go on some of these missions trips. We've sent hundreds of people on these missions trips. Maybe you can't go, you don't want to go, you're afraid to go, or just can't go. Here's the point. When you send your money, you're sending yourself. You're sending yourself because this is your hard-earned money that you've worked hard for to send to make friends for God. Heavenly Father, it's now time to culminate months' worth of planning and months worth of excitement regarding the future expansion of your kingdom. Lord Jesus, I would ask in your name that you now move upon the hearts of all those who are gathered on all our campuses right now listening to this message. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would touch hearts. Give a figure to everyone. Let them know that's what you want. And Lord, I pray for those who have a little or those who have a lot that they would choose to use unrighteous wealth which does not last for the purpose of making friends for God for eternity. And Lord, thank you for the way you continue to bless this church and the expansion of it. And I pray in these next moments of silence that you would convict all of our hearts what we should give as we ready ourselves to come forward. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of giving. 
for that is your very nature that you so love this world that you gave your only son to die for our sins that when we believe in him we'll never perish but have eternal life may we now be givers for your glory may we be people who are shrewd with your possessions it's in Jesus